Not sure if you knew this, but there is a sequel to the wonderful Wizard of Oz called The Marvelous Land of Oz. Now I know what you're thinking. We had just listened to The Wonderful Lizard of Oz, and for the most part, it wasn't a very good book. And I've not heard of the sequel, so it must be worse, which is fair. However, literary critics must follow the literature. The Marvelous Land of Oz, being an account of the further adventures of the Scarecrow and Tin Woodman, and also the strange experiences of the highly magnified Wobblebug, Jack Pumpkinhead, and the animated Sawhorse and the Gump, the story being the sequel to The Lizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Objectively, too long of a title. We're off to a bad start. Author's note. After the publication of The Wonderful Lizard of Oz, I began to receive letters from children telling me of their pleasure in reading the story and asking me to, quote, write something more, unquote, about the scarecrow and the tin woodman. Notice they're like, hard pass on the lion. Bad character development. It's been done. At first, I considered these letters, frank and earnest though they were, in the light of pretty compliments. But the letters continued to come during succeeding months and even years. Finally, I promised one little girl, who made a long journey to see me and prefer her request, and she is a Dorothy, by the way, that when a thousand little girls had written me a thousand little letters asking for the Scarecrow and Tid Woodman, I would write the book. Either little Dorothy was a fairy in disguise and waved her magic wand, or the success of the stage production of The Lizard of Oz. There was a stage production. We need one of those. For a thousand letters reached her destination long since, and many more of them followed. And now, although pleading guilty to a long delay, I've kept my promise in this book. L. Frank Baum, Chicago, June 1904. Tip manufactures a pumpkin head. In the country of the Gillikins which is at the tip of the north of the land of Oz, lived a youth named Tip. All right, so far so good. There was more to his name than that, for old Mumbai often declared that his whole name was Tipitarius. But no one was expected to say such a long word when Tip would do just as well. Indeed, the boy remembered nothing of his parents, for he had been brought when quite young to be reared by the old woman known as Mumbai, whose reputation, I'm sorry to say, was none of the best. For the Gillikin people had reason to suspect her of indulging in magical arts, and therefore hesitated to associate with her. Mumbai was not exactly a witch, because the good witch who ruled that part of the land of Oz, had forbidden any other witch to exist in her domains. I believe it. So Tip's guardian, however she might aspire to working magic, realized that it was unlawful to be a sorceress, or at most, a lizardess. Whew! 
We going in strong. Tip was made to carry wood from the forest that the old woman might boil her pot. He also worked in the cornfields, hoeing and husking. He fed the pigs and milked the four-horned cow that was Mombai's special pride. But you must not suppose he worked all the time, for he felt that would be bad for him. When sent to the forest, Tip often climbed to the trees for birds' eggs or amused himself chasing a fleet of white rabbits or fishing in the brooks with bent pins. Then he would hastily gather his armful of wood and carry it home. And when he was supposed to be working in the cornfields and the tall stalks hid him from Mombai's view, Tip would often dig in the gopher holes. Yeah, that doesn't sound like work at all, digging holes. Or, if the mood seized him, lie upon his back between a row of corn and take a nap. So, by taking care not to exhaust his strength, he grew as strong and rugged as a boy may be. Yeah, that's why I don't go to the gym. Mombai's curious magic often frightened her neighbors, and they treated her shyly, yet respectfully, because of her weird powers. But Tip frankly hated her and took no pains to hide his feelings. Indeed, sometimes he showed less respect for the old woman than he should have, considering she was his guardian. There were pumpkins in Mumbai's cornfields, lying golden red among the rows of green stalks. And these had been planted carefully intended for, that the four-horned cow might eat them in the wintertime. This cow is being brought up a lot, I'm just noticing. But, one day, after all the corn had been cut and stacked, Tip was carrying the pumpkins to the stable. He took notion to make a jack-lantern and try to give the old woman a fright with it. I think it's called a jack-o-lantern, but fine. So, he selected a fine big pumpkin, one with a lustrous orange-red color, and began carving it. With the point of his knife, he made two round eyes, a three-cornered nose, and a mouth shaped like a new moon. Isn't that nothing? Like, a full moon would make sense. A new moon is blank. I just, just when you're writing a story, do some research, is all I'm saying. The face, when completed, could not have been considered strictly beautiful. But it wore a smile so big and broad and was so jolly in expression that even Tip laughed as he looked admiring at his own work. The child had no playmates, so he did not know that boys often dig out the inside of a pumpkin jack, and in the space thus made a lighted candle to render the face more startling, but he conceived an idea of his own that would be quite as effective. He decided to manufacture... Okay, it's a child making a pumpkin. Let's not use the word manufacture. He decided to manufacture the form of a man who would wear this pumpkin head to stand it in place as old Mumbai would meet it face to face. Oh, I need a voice for Tip. And then, said Tip to himself with a laugh, she'll squeal louder than the brown pig does when I pull her tail and shiver with fright worse than I did last year when I had the agoo. A-G-U-E? I don't know what that means. We're looking it up. Because that's what literary geniuses do. Agu. It's a noun. It's archaic. It means malaria. Oh, that's dark. Okay. Malaria or some other illness involving fever or shivering. 
He had plenty of time to accomplish this task, for Mumbai had gone to a village to buy groceries, she said, and it was a journey of at least two days. So, he took his axe to the forest, selected some stout, straight saplings, which he cut down and trimmed all of the twigs and leaves. From there he would make arms, legs, and feet of his man. For the body he stripped a sheet of thick bark around a big tree, in which much labor fashioned it into a cylinder of about the right size, pinning the edges together like wooden pegs. This is starting to get boring. Like, I'm thinking of the film Dorothy and the Cyclone. That's an image that's going to stay with us for the rest of our lives. This child making a pumpkin, take it or leave it. It doesn't have the same punch, you know? But it's fine. Then whistling happily as he worked, he carefully jointed the limbs and fastened them to the body with pegs whittled into the shape with his knife. By the time this feat had been accomplished, it began to grow dark, and Tip remembered he must milk the cow and feed the pigs. So he picked up his wooden man and carried it back to the house with him. During the evening, by the light of the fire in the kitchen, Tip carefully rounded out all the edges of the joints and smoothed out the rough places in a neat and workmanlike manner. Then he stood the figure up against the wall and admired it. It seemed remarkably tall, even for a full-grown man, but that was good in the small boy's eyes, and Tip did not object to the size of his creation. Next morning, when he looked at his work, Tip saw he had forgotten to give the dummy a neck, by which he might fasten the pumpkin head to his body. So, he went again to the forest, which was not far away, and chopped from a tree several pieces of wood from which to complete his work. When he returned, he fastened a cross piece to the upper end of the body, making a hole through the center to hold upright the neck. The bit of wood which formed the neck was also sharpened at the end, and when all was ready, Tip put the pumpkin head on, pressing it well down into the neck and found that it fitted very well. It's like reading an instruction manual. The head could be turned to one side or the other as he pleased, and the hinges of the arms and legs allowed him to place the dummy in any position that he desired. I was just checking that to make sure I was recording, because we're not doing this again. Now that, declared Tip proudly, is a very fine man, and it ought to frighten several screeches out of old Mumbai. But... It would be much more lifelike if it were properly dressed. Properly? If it were properly dressed. To find clothing seemed no easy task, but Tip boldly ransacked the great chest in which Mumbai kept all her keepsakes and treasures. This actually sounds like a fairly easy task. And the, at the very bottom, he discovered some purple trousers, a red shirt, and a pink vest, which was dotted with white stripes. He carried them away to his man and succeeded, although the garments did not fit very well, in dressing the creature in a jaunty fashion. Some knit stockings belonging to Mumbai and a much-worn pair of shoes completed the man's apparel, and Tip was so delighted that he danced up and down and laughed aloud in boyish ecstasy. I will not be doing an impression. I must give him a name, he cried. So good a man must surely have a name, I believe, he added after a moment's thought. I will name the fellow Jack Pumpkinhead. Okay. couple thoughts. Because I, I already see where this is going. The next chapter, chapter 2, is called The Marvelous Power of Life. 
which to my mind is a spoiler that this pumpkin is going to come to life. Um, and we also heard it in the very long title of the book. Which means, because the Tin Man and the Scarecrow are so beloved, people miss the absurdity of this. Like, I think L. Frank Baum is just looking around at items like, oh look, some tin foil. What if tin came to life? What if straw people came to life? What if pumpkins came to life? Like, let's just be thankful he didn't see his his toothpaste and be like, toothpaste, man. Uh, whoopee cushion lady. Uh, it's just, he's not a good writer and that's fine. I don't know. You've been listening to The Marvelous Land of Oz, being an account of the further adventures of the Scarecrow and Tin Woman, and also the strange experiences of the highly magnified Wobble Bug Jack, Pumpkinhead, and the animated Sawhorse and the Gump, the story being the sequel to The Lizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum and me.